You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things, the treasury of blessings and the giver of life, come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Welcome back, all of our participants here for the 32nd Sunday in Ordinary Time. Hello, Annie Mitchell. Father Hezekiah, it is good to see you. How it's are you? Good to, see, good to see you, too. We're going to jump in here this Sunday to the Book of Wisdom. So this will be a rather short Bible study. If you're looking for me to comment on wisdom, you'd have to know what it is. But you're gonna have to. I brought a, I brought a little prop for today. You did. I brought a prop too. We yes. need to be in the same place. Yes. Because I don't have what you have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, we'll talk about. We'll talk about the uh, the um, uh, the gospel text here. But let's give everybody our, our passage. Okay, wisdom. Yes. Yep, yeah, we're right. starting in the Book of Wisdom for our first reading in the 32nd Sunday in Ordinary Time. Wisdom chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. Mm-hmm. The responsorial psalm is taken from Psalm 63. The gospel is Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. And the epistle is First Thessalonians chapter four, verses thirteen through eighteen. Bingo. Bingo. Here we go. Here we go. So we're gonna, we're gonna spend a little bit of time here in the book of wisdom. We're gonna talk a little bit about the uh Matthew 25 and the oh being prepared. I'm gonna do a little bit of a of a side show today and we're going to yeah. use our gospel we're going to comment a little bit on the gospel and then we're going to use it as a launching point to talk about something i wanted to just you know one of my hobby horses and uh nice. and then off we go so here we go wisdom chapter six wisdom chapter six verse 12 uh starting verse with verse 12, 12. Yep. and have a chance to jump in here so wisdom chapter six i'm turning i like to turn my bible with you guys and you uh, actually have your your Bible today. So yes, I do. Good. So that I can get my timing down. And I know there's a, you know, a lot of times there's deacons or, well, maybe even some priests, but other people, laity that are catechists, maybe you teach Bible study. One of the tricks of the trade, I'm going to give it to you right now, when you're teaching your Bible studies, for those of you that are, is number one, you always want to make sure you're opening your passages. Please don't do Bible studies. And I know even some of our professors at the Institute do this. It drives me crazy. I mean, that is, they'll give you a reference and they won't have you turn there, which teaches you not to read your Bible. It teaches you not to turn your Bible and open it. So you always want to make sure that your participants in your Bible study can turn to the passages. And that and one way to do that is to make sure you're actually doing it. You never want to like write out your notes and have the passage in front of you, and then the words of the passage. Give you yourself wisdom, chapter six, verse whatever, but then you make sure that while you're teaching it, you open your Bible. It will help people get there. Now, you're going to probably get to your passage before they do, because you're teaching it, and you're used to flipping your Bible around, 
Um, and um, so, so one of the things you can do is you can slow yourself down. You'll notice me doing this with Annie and with you guys every week. And then I'll, I'll kind of like fumble and I do it intentionally, right? Okay, we're going to turn, uh, let's play this, ready? Okay, Annie, let's go ahead. Let's turn to our first passage. Wisdom chapter six, verse 12. Let me, let me grab my Bible. Okay, good. Now I'm, I'm fumbling, see? Okay, and we are in the Old Testament, yes? And we're at the book of wisdom. And all the while, I'm flipping, trying to find the book of wisdom, right? Finally, yeah. I can get there. And wisdom chapter six. We're at wisdom chapter six, mm-hmm. starting with, Wisdom. Is that wisdom of Solomon? Wisdom of Solomon. Yeah. Okay. Chapter right. six. And we're going to start with verse 12. Okay. So verse now 12. notice I did, I said that like multiple times, chapter six, chapter six. And I didn't say verse 12 because I don't want people to start reading beforehand. So there's, I'm giving you guys a little tricks of the trade. But in Bible says, get your people there and actually read the passage. Yes. So here we are. Get out your Bibles. Here we are in wisdom chapter six, starting with verse 12 through verse 16. Go ahead, Annie. All right. Here we go. resplendent and unfading is wisdom and she is readily perceived by those who love her and found by those who seek her she hastens to make herself known in anticipation of their desire whoever watches for her at dawn shall not be disappointed for he shall find her sitting by his gate for taking thought of wisdom is the perfection of prudence and whoever for her sake keeps vigil shall quickly be free from care because she makes her own rounds seeking those worthy of her and graciously appears to them in the ways and meets them with all solicitude 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 all right well okay i don't understand a word of this passage (laughs) well actually there is quite a bit in here that i'm just like huh interesting especially in light of what we're going to be reading in the gospel but maybe yeah well maybe we can just start with your first question you already asked it yeah which is is this the wisdom wisdom of solomon yeah so just turn your bibles with me very quickly uh we all know the the um that uh king solomon was known for his wisdom and but in first Kings chapter four, verse 32, 1 Kings, Kings. Yeah, I, I broke my own habit there. I shouldn't have given you the verse. So normally I got actually I'm gonna turn you a passage for I think it's first Kings. First Kings, let me just turn there. Yep, yep. And I'm in chapter four. Yes, chapter four. You see, I'm stalling, I'm letting you get there. Boom. So if you're teaching your Bible says it's a good practice to do. Let the people get there. Okay. First Kings chapter four. Are you with me, Annie? I am here. I'm going to go to verse 32. Here we are. First Kings chapter four, verse 32. We also, or he also uttered 3000 Proverbs and his songs were a thousand and five. Okay. So now look this is this is uh this doesn't prove the point that he wrote wisdom and in fact many scholars including old trusty fuentes yeah doesn't believe a lot of people don't believe that the that that solomon wrote the book of wisdom because because of its style they can show that that at least the texts we have from the greek most likely written in the about 100 years or so give or take before the coming of Christ. So right at the 
right at the edge of the New Testament. Hmm. However, being the super trad that I am, um, I would say that, yeah, okay, fine. In the form that we have it today and the manuscripts we have, certainly we can date to that time period, but that doesn't mean that the substance of this, of this work is not the work of Solomon, hmm. even though it may have been held on to in the sense of beloved lore, beloved sayings, beloved, you know, teachings um, from the time of Solomon himself. So, yeah. Now you can go to all your biblical scholars and they can prove me wrong, but there we are. Okay. So let's take it for, for what it is, because as um, Father Ronald Knox said, you don't ascribe a great literary work to someone who doesn't have any great literary works to his name. Yes. Yeah. So Solomon clearly wrote wisdom, you know, Proverbs, right? And so, okay, they ascribe this to him, whatever the case may be. Here we are in wisdom and we're in chapter six. Go ahead, Annie. Okay. So in wisdom chapter six, I don't know if this is exclusive. I doubt it exclusive to uh, this particular passage, but mm-hmm. why is wisdom personified and, and I guess even further than that, why is wisdom personified in the feminine? Yeah. Or maybe we should start with what is I, wisdom. I don't know. Like, yeah. where do you want to okay, go? let's start with what is wisdom. Yeah, and 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 then we can. I'm happy to go to the philosophical. You know, and I'll give the give you the traditional definition of wisdom, which is the knowledge of the causes of things. Yeah, and here we're talking about philosophical causes, right? The first and final cause, where a thing came from, mm-hmm. and what its purpose is. Yeah, um, the one who is wise, you can, we can do it very practically here. One, who, I'm sure Dr. Cutterback would say this in a much more beautiful way, but this is Father Hezekiah's practical application, and that is one who is wise is one who knows what a thing is and what it's for, as it as he looks around. Right, the unwise one mistakes the nature of the thing and misuses it towards it for you know towards destruction so you can i think you can kind of grab grapple or wrap your mind around that one of course when we're speaking of wisdom we're talking about we're talking about the the most important things right so we're not just talking about oh it's a table and it's for eating on no we're it's a it's it's marriage and its purpose is the giving of life right Of, of love and procreation right talking about the highest things the most important things but wisdom actually gives us a little bit more. Um, and this is why I love this little Fuentes book, because he's always goes back and he can be a very simple start. And so I'm just going to share with you what he says that he says there's the, the book is divided into three parts. Chapters one through five is a prophetic in prophetic style and somewhat Hebraic in the concepts. It exhorts the people to practice righteousness and sincerely seek God. Now, it also his comments say this it it appears as though this is coming out of most likely Alexandria, the diaspora hmm. in which the Jews are struggling with the fact that they're away from the temple, they're away from the sacrificial system and how to remain faithful to the Lord and how it is possible to be a Jew apart from Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah? which we've talked about a lot in this post-Babylonian exile time period in which that faithfulness to the law of God becomes central in uh, meditating upon their identity as a people of God chosen and yet in exile. And how do they remain faithful as the bride of God? And we talk about that a little bit regarding wisdom. Okay. okay. Nevertheless, 
Um, here, this is what he says. In the second part, which gets to our part of the book, he says, chapter 6 to 9 concentrates on the source of wisdom and the need to obtain wisdom. Uh, speaking as Solomon, the sacred writer, explains what he means by wisdom. And here, uh, Fuentes points us to the passage, chapter 7, verse 22. So let's just go in there, look, uh, kind of led by Fuentes here, to take a look at chapter 7, verse 22 to verse 20, he says 25, but I've highlighted in my Bible down to verse 27. So here we go. For Verse 22, for wisdom, the fashioner of all things taught me, for in her there is a spirit that is intelligent, holy, unique, man manifold, subtle, mobile, clear, unpolluted, distinct, invulnerable, loving the good, keen, irresistible, ben uh, beneficent, humane, steadfast, sure, free from anxiety, all-powerful, overseeing all, and penetrating through all spirits that are intelligent and pure and most subtle, for wisdom is more mobile than any motion. Because of her pureness, she pervades and penetrates all things, for she is the breath of the power of God and a mm. pure emanation of the glory of the Almighty. Therefore, nothing defiled gains entrance into her, for she is a reflection of eternal light, a spotless mirror of the working of God, an image of his goodness. Though she is but one, she can do all things. Okay, so there's, in some sense, Solomon or wis the wisdom's understanding of, of, of what wisdom is. Okay, this list, this list. Because, and now going back to the philosophical concept, of course, it is God who orders all things, who gives natures to all things, and, and and orders all things to the proper end. Yeah. And so it pervades all things because it is it is it is you see this 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 pouring out of the of of, of God's knowledge, okay, which is where we can go with the the with St. John's Logos business, the word of God. Here yeah. John speaks in in the in the prologue of the internal word right before the spoken word is the internal word the knowledge of the thing which then is spoken yeah mm -hmm. um and so from a philosophical standpoint we can understand here the biblical revelation of this pervading rationality if you will it knows all things it perceives all things and it it orders all things and i think that the agility part is more it has more motion than motion, right? Or it has yeah. Yeah, how what what was it? What did it say there? Um more mobile than any motion. Yeah, more mobile than any motion because it already knows the end point of the of the thing itself, right? Yeah. I'm just thinking that that's how the angels are spoken of also in the book yeah. of Daniel, the many-eyed cherubim, the six-winged seraphim. They move all they 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 just because it's the throne of God, is all seen and present in all places. Yeah, it's the presence of the reality of God himself. Yeah. Okay, and then Fuentes goes on. He says, it is this wisdom that that was just referenced here that we just read. It is this wisdom that lies at the basis of, of all other good things. The author stresses that it is something to be sought through prayer because we cannot attain it by our own efforts. And here he points us to the next passage just real quickly as, as chapter 9 verses one through six. O God of my fathers and Lord of mercy, who hast made all things by thy word 
and by thy wisdom wisdom has formed all things this is this is a biblical way a semitic way or an ancient world way of what's the word in it's a literary device in which the thing is duplicated ah it's not coming to the forehead but jesus does this for example in john chapter 3 when he talks about being born again being born anothen being born anew and nicodemus is struggling to understand he repeats himself right and he says no one can be uh can enter the kingdom of god unless he's born again and then he repeats himself by saying born of water in the spirit, which explains himself, right? Explains it by repeating. So the same thing happens here. O God of my fathers and Lord of mercy, who has made all things by thy word mm-hmm. and by thy wisdom has formed man, right? So it's the same, the same reality. So the, here, John is borrowing from the book of wisdom, right? So, so the wisdom of God and the word of God is the same. Yeah. And then we'll go on. And by thy wisdom has formed man to have dominion over the creatures thou hast made and rule the world in holiness and righteousness and pronounce judgment and upright, uh, uprightness of soul. Give me the wisdom that sits by thy throne and do not reject me from among thy servants. For I am thy slave and the, and the son of thy maidservant, a man who is weak and short-lived with little judgment, little understanding of judgment and laws. For even if one is perfect among the sons of men, yet without the wisdom that comes from thee, he will be regarded as nothing, right? So how is it that Solomon is going to rule over his people? How is man to have dominion over creation only by the wisdom of God, which knows what a thing is for or where it came from, right? Its origins and its its purposes, Hmm. okay? That's really beautiful, yeah. But now you're the, the next question you wanted to ask, based on what I just said about the word of God and the wisdom of God is? Why personified and why feminine? Yeah, I think those are two really good questions, two different answers. The personification business, I think we can come to maybe, maybe it's a literary device to make something tangible in front of you, right? That's that's number one, but maybe there's a further mm-hmm. person we talk about. Why, why in the feminine? Well, in in Semitic languages, there is no neuter noun, so we think in our in our in our language we we have tons of its right the tree, you know, yeah. uh, and, and so forth. There's there's in fact I kind of made a list here or the mountain right. It is the mountain. It is it is tall. The yeah. tree it is green right. Mm-hmm. We're constantly talking in terms of its, and the only time in our in our language that we use male or female is actually very reserved. Sometimes in regards to animals, but only sometimes because, you know, it's only like when you've actually humanized the animal that you start talking in the he or she, right? So I, I, my kids have a a kitten they got and I always call the kitten it, it's a, (laughs) it's a cat. It is a cat, right? Yeah. But my kid, she, it's, it's a, it's a female (laughs) cat, right? Because they're, they're trying to make it one of our family. And it is a female cat, but but even even in the English language, we the dog it is scary, right? Yeah. Or the you know the bull it's big, yeah. And it's only really in relationship to men and women, and by extension to animals that we've done this with, that we begin start speaking in male field. But in the in Hebrew and in Greek, this isn't the case. Hmm. And so we we do I will say make a mountain out of a molehill here in modern biblical, especially because you don't see a root of your question, Annie, is modernism. Because you know, behind your question, 
is the question, is God female? No, he's a man. He's a man, right? Because this is the fight going on. You got to get rid of all that crap. Get all of that off the table because the Solomon's not talking about that. He's not trying to, to, to prove that the feminists are right and God's a female and mother God and Paca Mama. All right. So please, let's just remove all of that, except yeah. that the Hebrew word hokma, if I pronounce that correctly, hokma for wisdom or Greek in Sophia is a feminine word. Yeah. It's a feminine word. Yeah. We can talk about a little bit of the personification business as to, to, to in, in this. So I'm not going to completely discount your question, but I'm just going to mostly discount your question. Yeah. It's a feminine word. Well, can I kind of follow up? Because as you were reading that passage about all of the different things, you know, the way that you were, yeah, in in, uh, chapter seven, I kept thinking of, you know, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, which is Paul talking about love, Love. right? And who is love, but God is love yeah. and God is also wisdom. I just feel like St. Paul might've been taking a page out of wisdom as well. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, in fact, St. Paul, turn, turn with me, he, keep your Bible there or your hand there in, in uh, chapter seven or wherever you're at in wisdom, flip over to first Corinthians with me. And I'm going to intentionally do my little thing here. We're going to flip over to first Corinthians. That's right after Romans. And, um, and I'm in chapter one. Uh, let's see. Chapter. Are you there, Annie? First I'm Corinthians. First Corinthians. Yep. First Corinthians, chapter one, verse. Where do I want to be? Now, look, I know where I want to be, guys. I'm just doing this for you to get you to first Corinthians, right? I'm yep. in verse 24. We can go back to 22. Okay. Let's go start with verse 22. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, Sophia. Yeah. Jesus is a woman? What? So, okay, obviously, obviously not. But, but. Jesus is the word of God. He is the wisdom of God. But in this case, the word of wisdom in Hebrew and, and in Greek is, is in the feminine. And, and St. Paul has no concern about that because he's not fighting feminism. <laughs> he's not trying to prove that Jesus is a woman by using a female, a feminine word. So, um, but, but then I will say this, that in the personification side of this, it's very interesting because I think, and I'm going out on a limb, I don't have a commentator on this. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the, the 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 Jew living in Alexandria, or in Babylon for that matter, uh, one who is fi- finds himself away from the temple and all of that going on, is reminded of one of my favorite passages, or at least I'm reminded of my one of my favorite passages as Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. Of course, Jeremiah writes during the Babylonian exile. Chapter 31. And you know what the verse is because you've memorized it with me. And that's 31. 31. Yeah. Jeremiah 31, 31. Here we go. Are you there, Annie? I'm not there yet. Well, you got to get there now. Chapter 31. Now here. 
Verse 31, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers, though I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. And we could look at a ton of other passages, but this is one of my favorites because it identifies this understanding of Israel as the bride of God. Of course, Jeremiah talks about Jerusalem as the harlot also, right? And so this is what the the, the post-Babylonian exile pre-Christian Jew is kind of grappling with. And that is, how is he and those around him going to be faithful to their divine husband? How is Israel going to be a faithful bride? And what is a faithful bride? The faithful bride is one who receives direction from her husband and acts accordingly for the economy of the household and the good estate of the family of God, right? Yeah. And is filled, as you said, with love, right? I think there's something here in this in this meditation on wisdom. In the personification of Lady Wisdom, the personification of wisdom as, as, as in the feminine, and maybe I'm just applying this and taking it too far, but I think it might be helpful for our own meditation. And that is that the wisdom of God is Israel, is faithful Israel, right? Church. It is the one who has received, yes, it is the one who has received the Logos, and is now identified with the Logos. Yeah. And here now, Dr. Cutterback's going to call me out and be like, mm, I think you're talking more about prudence because prudence is practical wisdom. That is wisdom, not as an idea, but put into action. And I think, yes, certainly the Jew out there in Alexandria is, is thinking in terms of practical wisdom. And that is, how do I live my life that I might walk in the ways of the Lord. Yeah, and that looks like lady wisdom. It looks like faithful Israel. And I want to be identified with this one who has brought me into being and is my the sole love of my life. Yeah, um, and so anyways, I guess my at the end of the day, I would just point out to you that please don't make this passage and this whole question about whether God is feminine because that's stupid. Yeah, I I mean that wasn't actually like, my, my... that wasn't like my stated intention in my head when I thought of this question, but um you know, point well taken, Father. I think yeah. your point is very well taken. Okay. Um my <laughs> next Can we end this section of wisdom with the word stupid, please? <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> well, I'm just wondering, just to wrap up our conversation on this, because we've got a lot about, um, you know, keeping vigilant things to talk about in the gospel in relation to wisdom. But it says that that she makes her she wisdom makes her own rounds, seeking those worthy of her. Mm-hmm. How does one become worthy? Well, this is the question of the Jew in Alexandria, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, and it becomes our question. How do I make myself worthy of God? How do I, how am I found by the Lord? And how do I enter into a relationship with him, the one who has ordered all of creation? And I, I, I'm going to go back and tell you to, uh, to, to go back and meditate 
I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you guys, even though you haven't gone to confession, I'm going to give you a penance. All right. This is Father Hezekiah's hey, like Sunday Gospel Reflection, Penance of the ICC. I want you to go back to St. Augustine's Confessions. You can pick it up online, uh, newadvent.org. You can go up and St. Augustine's Confessions. I want you to read chapters one through five. Now, don't, Father, I don't have time to read more. It's paragraphs. It's five paragraphs. You can do this right now. Stop this field. Hit pause and let Augustine speak to you. Because this is this is the heart of, of the person who's who's writing this these words hmm. of become how do I make myself worthy of the one who has who is the creator of all things? And I become aware that even my breath and and that everything is this gift and this relationship. And uh so I'm gonna start there and then and then I'm going to read you a quote from St. Augustine also. Uh, At all times, my soul longed to desire the ways of righteousness. A commendable passion, this, not a blameworthy one. It is not of this desire that is written, do not covet. A prohibition that regards the passions with which the flesh rises against the spirit. This rather is a longing by which the spirit rises against the flesh. If you want to find a scriptural passage on this, you you would find the desire of wisdom leads to a kingdom. And there are many other testimonies concerning this concupiscence in the good sense. It is very interesting to note that when speaking of desire in a good sense, the object that is desired is always expressed. You know, the problem is the the translations of stuff is so, ah, it's too too cockamamie, it's too uh, whatever. And and based upon Augustine's insights, I think the the most important thing, Annie, regarding you know making myself worthy is is desire. So based on the chat on chapters one through five, which you now read, paragraphs one through five, um, I I think to answer your question about how do we make ourselves worthy, first of all, there's nothing you can do to make yourself worthy of God, but you can open yourself up to His gift. Right? There's a big difference between doing things to attain, right, versus opening my life up to the gift of God. Two fundamentally things. I'll work really hard to get wisdom. Mm-hmm. No, I'm going to open my heart that God may pour his life into me. And there, I think the fundamental, the fundamental gift is desire. And to allow the desire of the heart to well up for the Lord. And how do you do that? Well, guys, you know how to build desire. You got to taste the good a lot of times, right? Yeah. The first time I ever smoked a cigar, uh, ugh, ah. And in fact, even if you if you if you put it in front of a child who has been given, you know, rice crispy treats his whole childhood and you put a pork tenderloin in front of him or a, a lamb shank or something. No, I, I want top ramen. Right. But if you give them a taste of what is good, they'll begin to desire it. They'll begin to love them more. I'm very proud of my children because we raised them. We didn't feed them all that garbage food. We gave them what we were eating for dinner and that was it. And they didn't like it. They didn't eat. Right, so my kids right now on this kick, they don't like potatoes. What? They like French fries, yeah, but potatoes. Okay, well that's fine. You don't want it, then you're just not gonna. This is what we're having for dinner. The big part of our dinner is potatoes tonight. You don't like it, you go hungry. 
Well, over time, I'm going to go, somebody's going to, you know, call the police on me, but no, I mean, we feed them and they, and they eat plenty, but, um, but, but the point is to give them a taste of the good so that they can desire it more and more and more. And this is what we have to do with the Lord reading. This can script. I offer some examples from you? Go Just ahead. Pictures that I've seen. Yes. You feeding your then like three-year-old ceviche. And I've seen pictures oh. of them eating like squid or octopus or something. Yes, like, because there's there's this cra- like tiny little guys there's and they're this- like sucking up fish. Mm. It's amazing. Because why there's a there's a Korean market near me. It's like an international, it's a huge Korean market. I can get this stuff on clearance on sale. So yeah, we get this like really great you know, octopus or squid or something like that and clean it all and the kids do it and they love it. They love it. And look, look at Psalm, look at our response to our Psalm, Psalm 63, Psalm 63. This is, you know, to be honest with you, I had not turned my page and I kind of forgot that that point was when the, look at this. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I was going to say you're leading us right into the Psalm. Yeah. My soul is thirsting for you. Oh Lord, my God. Stop for a second. Are you thirsting for the Lord? Really? And how do you build the thirst? How do you, how do you get the, you know, that desire? Well, you gotta get up early. You gotta pursue it. And now that is where the work comes in to get yourself ready, right? And no wonder, look, no wonder, no wonder we have this mentality about going to church when we're walking in late and leaving early, when we rely upon somebody else to put the flowers together or uh, offer the incense or, or the wine or the bread, you know, these are all fundamental things that man can do on a natural level to get himself ready to desire. I don't know if this is an appropriate, yes, it is appropriate. I'll just, it's, it's not out of your, it's, it's completely out of your experience for our entire audience, but this is what happened conversation yesterday. I was doing, I, I was celebrating the liturgy. And in our Byzantine tradition, the ladies of the parish make the, it's called the korban, the bread, for yeah. the Eucharist. And it's a raised loaf of bread because of the risen Christ and uh, and, and so forth. And so during the, the prayers of the faithful, which is the priest does in our tradition, we carry around the chalice of wine and the bread that's going to be the Eucharistic bread. We carry it through the church in procession, much like the offertory procession, but this is done with high ceremony, candle bearers and all these things and incense and carrying them through, remembering the people who offered the gifts and any loved ones that we need to remember, you know, for I and Joe and Judy and for Uncle Tom and okay, he's carrying it through the church, saying these commemorations and for the one who made the bread Mm. and who offered the wine and the person who offered the incense. Well, I said, the person's name who made the the bread for the Eucharist. And I said, Rhonda Hussein, Rhonda has been on our cooking show. She does a lot of times. She makes the bread for the, for the church, but it wasn't her bread. It was somebody else. And I put the wrong name on the list. Well, she came up to taste communion and she called me up after church and said, that wasn't the bread I made. I didn't make that bread. It didn't. My Jesus tastes differently. She says, (laughs) So, um, so I, why am I telling you that? Because, because she had prepared herself now, whether she should have been focused on the taste of her bread or not, it's another point, but you see this preparation, I encourage you prepare, get up, get your clothes ready the night before, 
iron them. Get out your best. Get up early, fast. Come to church early to celebrate the liturgy. And then having prepared ourselves, you know, I'm sorry to say, it's like, it's like, it's like marriage. You know, the beautiful, I see these young couples are very faithful and they're, and they're very careful beforehand. They don't get involved in anything they shouldn't get involved in. And they're the ones on their wedding day are filled with true joy because of they've prepared their hearts for marriage versus the other person shacked up before marriage. Their wedding day, it's kind of like, get it over with father. Let's get to the party. Right. That's, that's our spiritual life. And let that Psalm 63 well up in you. My soul is thirsting for you, O Lord, my God. O God, you are my God, whom I seek. For you, my flesh pines and my soul thirsts like the earth, parched, lifeless, and without water. Thus have I gazed toward you in the sanctuary of the Jew in Alexandria, right? Looking, yearning to get back to Jerusalem, okay? All right, that's 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 good. I think we can move on. Okay, let's move to Matthew chapter 25 matthew chapter 25 verse let's see matthew chapter 25 i'm gonna do one of my little things for you guys again matthew chapter 25 that's in the new testament catholics new okay testament another catholics. one of my little things it's slow things down matthew chapter 25 annie i'm there you find it there you go chapter 25 verse one verse one All yeah right, matthew chapter 25 verse one jesus told his disciples this parable The kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones, when taking their lamps, brought no oil with them, but the wise brought flasks of oil with their lamps. Since the bridegroom was long delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, there was a cry, behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise ones replied, no, for there may not be enough for us and you. Go instead to the merchants and buy some for yourselves. While they went off to buy it, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went into the wedding feast with him. Then the door was locked. Afterwards, the other virgins came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he said in reply, Amen, I say to you, I do not know you. Therefore, stay awake, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And now I have to say, I am very embarrassed that I brought this lamp with me and have no oil. But we can get to that in a minute. <laughs> oh, is there no oil inside? No, there's no oil. No, 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 no. Yeah. It was given to me, but I don't have any oil for it. Well, guess what? You do have oil for it. And I'm going to tell you that why you have oil for it and how you can use your lamp. Oh, good. Well, I can't wait for that. Yep. But let's get our bearings first because we skipped over quite a bit including um mm-hmm. what i think is probably your favorite part of holy week <laughs> yes. in matthew 24 but we were um last we were at the beginning of matthew 23 last week so now we're at the beginning of matthew 25 what did we miss yeah so the church just kind of skipped over the woes which i love <laughs> 
Okay, from verse 13 on. So obviously, over the last few weeks, if you're new to this Bible study, I apologize. We're just going to pick this up right here. Last week, Jesus turns right in verse chapter 23, verse 1, then said Jesus to the crowds. So now Jesus having having given the uppercut to the to the Pharisees and Sadducees, he then turns to the crowds of people and starts getting them riled up against these guys, right? And then, and says, and well, we covered it last week in, in verses 1 through 12, in which he warns them of the Pharisees in the hearing of the Pharisees, remember? Yeah. And then he turns back. So you got chapter 13, verse 1 and following, in which he speaks to the crowds about the Pharisees, right? Mm-hmm. And now the Pharisees are going to the corner going, oh. Oh, oh my God, this is not going to go well. They're going to kill us. The crowd, the mob is going to let loose on us. And then, um, and then, and then he turns back in verse 13 to the Pharisees and just goes out from in their face. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees are standing right there in the temple, right? Now, if you think... I just get excited about this kind of stuff. I do because it gives flesh to the gospel, right? He's yep. standing in the temple and he just tears them. And, uh, and, and there you have it. Woe to you, Pharisees, hypocrites, verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within they're full of dead man's bones and all uncleanliness. So he goes on. I mean, I'm well, maybe I, my favorite, my favorite is verse 15. Okay. So I'm going to go back for a moment and say, and look at verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you traverse sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Ooh, Ooh, he's smoking. Okay. Um, And then uh, verse 33, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you kill and crucify, and some you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. All right. I mean, and then and then we can't skip verse 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, killing the prophets and stoning those who were sent to you. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken. And desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus left the temple. Now, this thing continues now. He goes on verse uh, verse 3, and he sat on the Mount of Olives. So again, we've talked about this many, many times before. The Mount of Olives, the eastern slope, the eastern hill of Jerusalem. Many of you have gone to the Holy Land with me. We go and we sit there on that spot overlooking Jerusalem. And then he speaks now in chapter 24. It could be very confusing for many people. If you're going to go back and you're going to contextualize chapter 25, you're going to read chapter 24. And it's very confusing. Most people will then will apply this to the end of the world. Okay. But then we get to verse 34. 
And he says, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will not pass away, but my will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So how is it that Jesus talks about the, the destruction of Jerusalem, destruction of the world, is cosmic terms here, okay? In chapter 24, what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about specifically talking about Jerusalem in cosmic terms. For the Jew, the temple itself the Temple Mount and all of Jerusalem is a microcosm. Okay, it is in the proper sense of that word, the cosmos in miniature. It is everything that the world has. Um, and there's many passages in the Old Testament talk about this, including the book of Job, talking about how God built the cosmos out of timbers and, and so forth, right? And so the cosmos is considered to be the temple of God. The temple of God is the microcosmos. So now Jesus talks about the destruction of the, the center point of the universe, and that is Jerusalem and the Temple Mount, which is in reference to 70 AD and the, and the destruction of Jerusalem, but more specifically about his coming now, because everyone's in a is in an uproar in Jerusalem. Every, they're preparing for Passover. And Jesus has just walked into the temple and caused a, a, an absolute, he's literally turned over the tables and then got into the, I mean, they know what's coming and they're asking themselves this important question about, about who Jesus is. But notice who's, who's asking the questions, right? That it's not the Pharisees anymore. The Pharisees, they just want to kill him. They just want to kill him. But who's asking questions are the crowds around him. And those crowds, the lines have pretty much been drawn. These people have been with Jesus in, in Galilee. These people have heard what he's done. They've seen what he's done. And yet they're still sitting there not making a commitment to follow him. And now it's too late. They're wicks are untrimmed their oil lamps are not filled and the bridegroom has arrived and he is now entering into his passion and so now the parable is given of the virgins okay so there's my there's my context of what we missed okay so talk about what this parable means yeah well, well we can just go back to jeremiah 31 31 right yeah. We can go back there and look, and there's, and of course, the many other passages of of Israel as the bride of God, and the Messiah coming as the bridegroom, coming to his to his bride, and those who are prepared are prepared, and those who are not are not, and those who are not will be cast out. And notice who they're cast out with. I'm going to just go back to chapter 24, in verse 45. Verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? whom his master has set over his household to give them their food and proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find, he will find so doing. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if, if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks and gets drunk and, and so forth, verse 51, he will punish him and put him with the hypocrites their men will weep and gnash their teeth. Okay. So who are the hypocrites? That's Jesus right. is just, I mean, yeah. it's a litany of the hypocrites. It's yeah. those guys, the Pharisees. 
You people in the crowd that has still not made a decision, who is still, you're waving your Jesus flag when it's right, but then you're worried because the Pharisees are going to kill Jesus and you don't want to be killed. You're not willing to make the commitment. Guess where you're going to end up? You're going to end up with them. Woe to you, scribes and, and Pharisees and scribes and so forth, right? And Sadducees. Woe to you, hypocrites. And you're going to be with them. Either you're with the Lord or you're going to be with them, right? And that's where we're going into chapter 25 and then concluding. Yeah, so we can, we, verse 13, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And then he continues on in verse 14, for it will be as, so he's saying, this is what it's going to be like. Look at verse 30, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? So this is this thing continuing on. They're going to end up out there, outside the kingdom, unless you join the king. That's the, that, and, and this is a linguistic problem, right? Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. It means the anointed one. It means the king. Are you with the Messiah? Is he the king or not? And if he is the king that you've been waiting for, you better get on his team, regardless of what the Pharisees and Sadducees are saying, right? Regardless of what's going to happen to you, you want to be with the king. And that's the ultimate question here. And it's basically, it's, it, it's too late right? You didn't get yourselves ready. And guess who is sitting on the Mount of Olives? Who's about to enter into his passion? It's Jesus. And he is the king. And you're not prepared. You've watched. He's walked on water. You've seen him multiply the loaves and fishes. You see him raise the dead, heal the sick. And you still stood on the side and you didn't really, you didn't really commit yourself to him. Your desire was not for him. It was for yourself, for your livelihood, for your life. And the result is, is this, but we let's, let's take a look in a practical way, Annie. Yeah. About what Jesus is talking about, because unfortunately it's not known to most people what exactly he's talking about here. Uh, wicks trimmed and oil lamps filled. So Annie has an empty wick. oil lamp. Yep. And um, how do you, um, how do you um, put oil in an oil lamp? Well, I got to go down to Walmart and I have to get some, I have to get oh, some, boy. Uh, kerosene, right? Yeah. Some noxious okay. fluid. No, you don't need noxious fluid for your oil lamp. What you need for your oil lamp is oil. Yes. Oil, because oil burns. Yeah. So, Andy, what do you need in your oil lamp? Well, the problem with your oil lamp is that, hold it up here close so everybody can see, is that it has, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, and it's going to unscrew, right? Uh, Go ahead yeah. and unscrew it. Yeah, because that's how you're going to fill your oil lamp. Yep. Right. And there it is. Now notice where that wick comes in. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the bottom. Show us the bottom where the wick goes into the bottom. Yeah. No, that, that part. Yeah. 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 But the metal part. No, where the oh. wick goes into the upper part. No, where the wick goes in the upper part. Oh, this part. Right there. Right there. Now, if that is really tight, it'll have a hard time wicking oil through it. Oh, and that's why like kerosene or a thin, very thin oil. Sure. Will be better for an oil lamp like that. Although I will tell you, Annie, and I'm going to have you do this right now because we're going to do a little chop edit for everyone. Because Annie, you're not going to go buy kerosene, am I right? No, not today. So no. So her lamp is never going to work unless Father Hezekiah helps her with her oil lamp. So you get ready for the Messiah. So here's what we're going to do, Annie. You're going to go upstairs. You're going to get some vegetable oil because that's the thinnest oil you have, and you're going to actually oil. pour some vegetable oil in there, and we're going to light your lamp. Okay. So okay. go get. We're going to take an edit. Get a match. Or whatever you're going to use to kind of get down, whatever, match and get some vegetable oil. Pause. Okay. I'll be right back. All right. Okay. Annie is back and she has Got her vegetable oil. Annie, Annie, 
Yeah. The, 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 the parable is about those who have their oil lamp filled. Oh. And you went and got Terry. like a quarter cup of oil. This is all I have. I wasn't ready. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. This I'm so embarrassed that I even admitted I have this lamp. This is the parable in the flesh. Okay. In the flesh. I and, am living this parable. Like oh, look, Annie, saying. you have enough. I have I enough. repent of my condemnation. Just barely. You see how the Lord has provided <sighs> out of the storehouse. Yeah, it feels like Hanukkah right now. Oh my gosh. Okay, now good. You're gonna put that in there. Watch, this isn't okay. gonna work, and you're gonna, you know, know now your is wick is gonna take up a little room, so it's gonna even fill it maybe a little more. We hope it doesn't overfill. Yeah. Okay. Did yeah, it overfill? Get my Bible. No. Yeah, don't spill it on your Bible. Otherwise, you'll light your Bible on fire. Yeah, that'd be bad. I'm not into that. Nice. Okay, good. Okay. And okay. and then you're going to take that top little shoot thingy off. There's probably little screws next to it that you can... There you go. Okay. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to use that little dial and dial it the wick to go down further. So do it in front of us. We want to see it go down. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah, do it almost till it's going to go. In. Ah, now bring it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back and forth like that so it can wick some oil up. And then we're going to leave it there for just a moment, just like that. Just leave it like that. That's fine. Okay. And and what's going to happen, it's going to take time to wick. So whether this is going to work or not at this moment, I don't know for Annie because it does take time to wick. And I'm going to talk about my oil lamp here from the church, which I went and grabbed in front of the icon of Jesus. And this has a little, a little holder. And look at that little wick. Oh, neat. Okay. Oh, okay, cool. Now, this was burning on Sunday in the church in front of the icon of Jesus for about three and a half hours. And you'll notice that it is black on top. Yeah. See that little black spot? That's mm -hmm. the wick burned. And that wick, having been burned, is not the best thing to light. Now, it probably will light. Okay, here's my fire. And I'm going to light it. See, yeah, see, it's not lighting very well. See, now there it goes. It finally lit. However, however, I'm just going to tell you because I won't have time to really do it. That, that that light will not last very long because the wick part of it's all burned up and, and the burned up part isn't wicking the oil very well. Yeah. Right. Sure. And so what you want to do is you want to go and you want to get. Um, my wick is so short there that I don't have much left. So there's another problem, right? To have a long enough wick, oh, virgin prepared. Um, and you don't want it to be burned. So you have to trim the wick of your soul. I was going to ask what it means to trim your wick. It means to trim. Huh. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take this, uh, this other wick, which is too short now, and I'm going to remove it. And I'm going to take this new wick and I'm going to put it into the wick spot, which is in this little, this, this particular one is a floating, like a floating lamp thingy. Cool. And I'm going to stick it in there. If I can make it work in front of all you guys, this is like, you know, trying to perform in front of the, there you go right there. Boom. And now I'm going to have a brand new cleaned up and trimmed wick. Yes. And I'm going to put that back that in my oil. For? What's that? How long will that last for? Oh, that whole string? Yeah, mm -hmm. last, I mean, if it was just burning all the time, then th that thing would be okay for like most of the day. Mm -hmm. And then I would go in and want to trim a little bit of that off and get that fresh wick up there. Sure. 
And now I can light this. Where did I put there? This. And now I can. Now it's going to take again a little bit of time to light to wick up that wick. Um, but in this case, I think it'll probably work just fine. And so I'm just going to put that fire on there. Neat. And now I have a nice oil lamp all prepared for the light of God, right? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. Without him was made nothing that was made in him was life. And the life was the light of men and the light shining in the darkness. The darkness cannot comprehend it. Jesus is the light of my life. Yeah, he sends the gift of the Holy Spirit to inflame my heart and so that I can see. And this is a really, maybe really cool along with this image of the of the the virgin with the prepared lamp, because without the lamp, you can't walk. You'll just stumble. You won't know how you, you'll right. You won't be able to walk the pathway to go toward the kingdom. And so the lamp is critical for this. Annie, light your lamp. Yeah. And um, we'll see how Annie's. We'll see if it works yet. Yeah. Now she's using a barbecue lighter because yeah, Annie's because a modernist. That's, I wasn't ready. I'm a super trad, which is why I have Well, you're also at a church and I'm at my home. Okay. Now, if it hasn't wicked up the oil is another good example. Go and show it to us, Annie. Is it, is it, uh, yeah. No, See, so because it's a big, thick thing and someone who knows things about kerosene lamps, is like, well, this guy's, you just ruined her lamp because. <laughs> There's no way that wick is going to wick up oil, but it will. Yeah. See, it just hasn't gotten oily enough yet, Annie. So it's just sure. burning. It's just burning your wick, but it's not burning the oil through the wick. Yeah. yeah. But I'm going to use this as an example because I just made Annie ruin her, her lamp as an example that, um, that, uh, how prepared you have to be when you have an oil lamp yeah. to light your way. And if you don't have enough oil, and your wick isn't trimmed. Mm -hmm. And this is the image that Jesus gives to those around him who are ill-prepared for the coming of the Lord. St. Hilary of Poitiers says, The delay of the bridegroom is the time of repentance. The sleep of those waiting is the peaceful rest of believers. The delay has given time for repentance. The cry comes at midnight. When no one yet knows what is happening, the sound of the trumpet of the go of God heralds his coming, rousing all to go out and meet the bridegroom. The taking up of the lamps is the return of the soul into the into their bodies, and the light shining from them is the consciousness of good works, which is contained in our bodies, which are like flasks. And he goes on, okay? Um, and St. Cyril of Alexandria says, Jesus compares the rulers of the people with the virgins. The person who discharges a sacred function must be undefiled in soul and body. And so, so there you have it. Okay. I hope that was helpful. My hands are all oily. Annie. I hope it was helpful for everyone to just see how unprepared I am. <laughs> happy, happy to oh, be. That was rich. Uh, yeah, really yeah. It's My fine. It's so. fine. My oil lamp is burning. Yes. Well, you know what? Better for the priest to be prepared <laughs> with his oil lamp than. Uh, yeah. Know. No. God. I mean, I'm judged. God's going to bring this this day up and be like, "You were not really prepared. You just lit a candle." But Annie's heart was <laughs> trimmed and filled with oil. Well, that's the whole point, right? Like so, this is this is yes. good imagery for us to recognize. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. I, I've learned quite a bit here. We conclude with First Thessalonians chapter four, verse thirteen. 
and yep. following first <laughs> thessalonians that's in the new testament catholics there i'm buying myself some time first thessalonians chapter 4 13 verse 13 yes i'm there go ahead all right here we go we do not want you to be unaware brothers and sisters about those who have fallen asleep so that you may not grieve like the rest who have no hope for if we believe that jesus died and rose so too will god through jesus bring with him those who have fallen asleep indeed we tell you this on the word of the lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will surely not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, with a word of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, will come down from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, console one another with these words. Yeah, so, um, I mean, the apparently the Thessalonians are asking an important question that those who have fallen asleep in the Lord, because they had this real expectation of the second coming happening, right? Yeah. And how is this all going to work out? Okay, and what is St. Paul's answer? Get yourselves ready, right? He says this in, um, he says this um, um, verse just before verse 11, like halfway through verse 10. But we exhort you, brethren, to do so more and more, to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we charge you so that you may be command, you may command the respect of others and be dependent on nobody. But we would not have you ignorant. Okay, so, so get attend to the things that are most necessary to get yourselves ready because Jesus is coming and you know not the day or the hour. It may be that you, that he comes at the second coming, yeah, he, but the second coming is going to happen for all of us. And the question is when, right? Exactly. And, to, and to be ready. So I think very much we can go back to the responsorial psalm uh, given to us today. My soul is thirsting for you, oh Lord, my God. Encourage all of those this coming Sunday that we are in a season now. I know Advent has not begun. But we are in a season of expectation liturgically. Liturgically, we are we are heading towards the incarnation. We are heading toward Christmas. Costco's got something figured out. Yeah. And so the church places this beautiful question before us. Now, will we be ready for Christ to be born, to come to us? Always, and we said this before, the Feast of the Nativity, Christmas, and the Second Coming are understood as liturgical, liturgically the same right? His first coming and his second coming. Um, and so while we celebrate the incarnation, when we celebrate the birth of Christ, we are reminded liturgically that we are preparing ourselves for his coming in a real way. And so I want to encourage you, and we can finish with this, November 15th marks 40 days before the nativity. It is traditionally a time of fasting. It is a Lent in preparation for Christmas. And you can say, well, no, because I have Christmas parties and I have other things to do. But of course, if we come back to our passage, well, I said, keep saying we're going to conclude, but I'm going to come back because it fits in so nicely to our passage in the gospel. Yeah. I mean, it's good to finish with the gospel. So I'm going to come back to Matthew chapter 25. We were just looking at 
because this is the exact point that the Lord is making here. Chapter 24, verse 48, which I just covered. Verse 48, but if the wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with the drunken, the master's servant will come on a day when he does not expect. So my brothers and sisters, don't be caught eating and drinking during the preparation time. It's kind of like shacking up before marriage. Get yourselves ready. And I encourage you for the 40 days to keep a fast, set aside meat. Set aside these things, turn the television off so that Christ can truly be born in your hearts. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.